Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic Will's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the Graphic Novels Review Editor for Publishers Weekly, as well as the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. You can check us out on Twitter at at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. All right, this week on More to Come, Marvel stuff, okay? Uh, I'm going to give you a preview of the upcoming comics retailers feature. Uh, We're going to get some reactions to Riverdale, uh, the new TV show. Um, Results from IDW. And a new feature that we're going to start doing every week on the podcast, uh, PW's graphic novel bestseller list. And then the news brief. So, uh, Marvel stuff. What are we hearing out there? Well, a big rumor ripped through the comics verse today uh, that uh, the Marvel just held a um, their retreat, which they hold like three or four of them a year. And at this retreat, it was decided that they would be going back to doing big names on big characters. Uh, so they're and not mm. doing as many political storylines the Uh-oh. way they've been doing, and maybe just going back to having straightforward the revolution has comics. set in. Uh, yeah. So well, this is in the rumor <laughs> stage. I mean, it's a it's a yeah. well, it, you know, it's a well sourced rumor mm. uh, from uh, you know these kind of rumors. So this is on Bleeding Cool, which is often full of shit, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, this time... Uh, these I'm going to have to bleep that, What do you, yes, what do you really of, think of it, Bleeding Cool? These kind of cool. rumors are uh, often pretty well sourced on Bleeding Cool, so uh, definitely has some credence. And also, as we've been talking about here for weeks and weeks, you know, yeah, Marvel's, yeah, no, Marvel's, Marvel's got some issues. Up against it, yeah. yeah. Now, Calvin, I, what, I know you're going to talk about the retailer story, yeah. but what were you hearing in there? Well, uh, yeah, well, Shannon O'Leary, uh, you know, we took a year off just to kind of look at a lot of our comics features, and we're coming back with them again this year. Uh, and we're kicking it off with the comics re- our annual comics retailing survey. And we look at like five comic book shops around the country. And then we basically, it basically is a chance to get feedback uh, from working comics retailers you know, about the, the the data that we see, but we can get them to talk. So uh, uh, just to give you a an, uh, preview, I mean, a lot of the retails, among them, uh, the general trade bookstores, uh, I think, were our Powell's Books uh, on the West Coast, um, um, uh, The Strand here, uh, Secret Headquarters, Challengers Comics in Chicago. And, oh, my God, I'm forgetting one of them. Forgive me. I'll try to get back to it before this is all over. But with, there's five publishers. I think she also talked with Joe Field, too. Um, and there's someone uh, – look, there's unhappiness in the direct market mm. in particular about um, Marvel's uh, editorial policy. A lot of the retailers sort of feel that the comics don't reflect anything that anyone, quote, gives a crap about. Um, and they kind of want straightforward superhero stories. Yeah. Uh, um, and so do they go into more detail of what they meant by I don't reflect anything that anyone gives a crap about? It's just, is, <laughs> well, is there it are just... some, uh, there are just some epithets in there, but well, they do think that they feel that the comics actually connect too closely with the movies. There's mm-hmm. a lot of comments about that. They're saying that they're trying to tie them, the comics into the movies, and they think that that's a mistake. Yeah, well, what I will say from the fan perspective, being hooked into a lot of very unhappy Marvel fans who have actually stopped buying a lot of titles and are just like, yeah, call me back when they stop this. Yeah. Um, 
you know they they've uh, they've displaced a lot of the characters that have been heavily promoted in the movies. So you know Thor isn't Thor right now. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is Thor right now, and the problem is not like people are like, oh, we don't like these new diverse characters. It's that um, meanwhile other characters that you like and that are being heavily promoted are either not appearing in the comics or are not appearing in the comics in a recognizable form. Well, and and that the various events that have been pushed are just not very interesting. And so the combo of, like, not the characters you're looking for and not events that appeal to you have led to people being less interested in buying the comics. Well, I think we're going to... I think, unfortunately, what we're seeing a lot of in this is uh, kind of this make Marvel Comics great again attitude. Um, you know, there's no question but that... Ouch. Yeah. Well, no, because let me tell you, and I see this in my comments on the beat all the time. Yeah. Every time I run a story about Marvel... Um, the, you know, Kate is right. They have been through a period mm. where they displaced all the main characters, yeah. Iron Man, yeah, no, Captain America, Thor, and the Hulk, and replaced them with newer, diverse yeah. characters. You know, the Hulk is now Korean. Mm-hmm. Um, Thor yeah. is a woman. Uh, Spider-Man, uh, you know, there's two Spider-Man. Yeah. There's Peter Hulk Parker is, yeah. and uh, Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Iron Man is a teenage African-American girl. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, Captain America was the Falcon for a while. So, or Sam Wilson. The, meanwhile... Uh, Steve Rogers, instead of just being Steve Rogers, is like brainwashed by Hydra as and still is as witness our squabble on this com- <laughs> yes, our, uh, on this very our podcast. Emotional explosion on the- <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, um, well, I yeah, mean- but 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 let me let me just uh, let me finish my thought there sure. because yeah. because I think what uh, so every time I talk about you know what's wrong with Marvel with retailers and readers. Uh, they say a very simple thing. They said there's one thing Marvel could do that would reverse this right away, which is bring back the legacy characters. Bring back Steve Rogers and Bruce Banner, blah, blah, blah. And uh, except, you know, that would appear to be caving in to the forces that are... And there's, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, I was just running, you know, just ran a piece on the Wasp, uh, the original Wasp Mm -hmm. on... on the beat. And, you know, there's a new Wasp, Nadia, and... uh, they were like, oh, this comic sucks because it's got an agenda. And I'm like, you know, what is this agenda? A lot of, like I said, this is a real, uh, you know, Breitbart attack on these new Marvel car- comics. Now, I'm not saying that, th- that these comics are the greatest comics on Earth. But there is a lot of people who don't like them simply because they do have superheroines or they do have people of color in the lead. Okay. Yeah. And there's a yeah. lot of racism about this. Now, I think what you just said, Kate, is actually the case. You know, Marvel's events have not been very strong, even yeah. though they mm-hmm. had the best names ever. Secret Wars 3 and Civil War 2 should have been killer events, except the book shipped out of time. You know, the and main... it wasn't just that. Yeah, it wasn't just that. But I mean, there was so much wrong with these events. They were not the strong line building events that they should have been. And, yeah. You know, I think they were more about line bear- tearing down. Yeah, exactly. And I think that these new characters actually do have a lot of fans and a lot of followers and a lot of readers. Yeah. And so I think, you know, like well, I, this is a fine line that Marvel yeah. has to Yeah, tend. I think well, the problem is that they're not... They didn't set this up right. Because, well, because it's... I th- Because the thing is that a lot of people who are not in any way racist and, and actually love these new characters also love the old characters. Mm-hmm. Yes. And to set them up in sort of direct opposition 
to each other, even if supposedly they're friends. But but like, well, you can have a comic about this character, or you can have yeah. a comic about that character. Yes, you can have yes, not either. You can or. have you know, you can have a woman be Thor, or you can have Thor be Thor uh, instead of like, you know, like they're they're making an artificial scarcity, and they're setting up, mm-hmm. they're setting themselves up for a fall. Like, and so therefore, and meanwhile, of course, then, uh, you know, there's always going to be someone who's like, oh, well, you just don't like this new comic because you're prejudiced. And indeed, some people <laughs> are, could some, be. Some people but, are, yeah, but, but other people are, other are, are, you know, so I, other people want to read about Thor. They want to read about Thor. They want to yeah. be read about Thor. And, and, I mean, and that's, that's, so I think yeah. it doesn't necessarily need to be a sign that, that the comics need to be more conservative mm-hmm. or more apolitical, yeah. but that, um, People just love these pre-existing now, characters. Now, this was going to keep getting Let's just jump in really quickly. Uh, uh, I think one thing that comes through in the uh, the comics retail story, and it's that you're both hitting on, is that they you know they complain a little bit about supposedly the comics uh, connecting too much to the movies, but their bottom line really is that they want legacy characters yes. and solid, basically old-fashioned yes. Marvel comics. And, and another, co- yeah, another one other s- one other thing, just in the same vein, is that. All of the direct market stores in the survey are really um, – they're not bullish on, on periodical comics. The comics overall are down. Books are – graphic novels and books and particularly kids' graphic novels, surprise, surprise, are really exploding. All of them are just saying, I can't keep them on the shelves. Yeah. So that reflects poorly a little bit on – the periodical format. Yes. Well, we're going through a huge disruption right now and in everything, obviously. You know, and I think – now, this wasn't mentioned. These are two stories – two stories were run on Bleeding Cool that were written. You know, these aren't investigative reports. This is stuff that was leaked and, you know, Rich reported these rumors. Uh, the other rumor – there was two. I mean, one was, like, getting less political, going back to legacy characters. The other was bringing in bigger names, bigger creators on these books. And – um, you know, I think that's a factor too. So I, did we talk, uh, we may have even talked about this in the podcast one time. I said, you know, who would be the biggest name that you would be like, oh my God, so-and-so is doing Thor. I must pick that book up. You know, I mean, is it, is sure. it John Green? Is it like, you know, I mean, <laughs> who is it? Now, guess what? I, I mean, I haven't really been I, I digging into this, but one thing no one has mentioned, oddly enough, at least in the stories, uh, is like, oh, Marvel's getting less political at the same time that their uh, president, uh, Isaac Perlmutter, is being seen at President Trump's side. So, well, you know, I mean, there, maybe is this connected? a conspiracy for you. you know, huh? is this connected? <laughs> I mean, it never has been before. But uh, but um, who knows? You know, and let me let me just I'm sorry. I mean, just no, to throw this ahead. out there. It's like we know that Marvel has some very mysterious things going on behind closed doors. And we don't really know a lot of what. The motivation are. for things that happen at Marvel are because uh, there's more to this than meets the eye. I will say this. I don't know what that more is. I will say that I do know from talking in the past that the, you know, Ike has his very own. We've talked about this in the podcast many times. Ike has his own very weird ways of running a company. You know, he's so mad that Fox has the rights to the Fantastic Four and the X-Men that they've been downplayed in the comics. You know, all the, there's no new mutants. Remember that? Like, even when you pick up the Wasp, it's like, well, ever since those Terrigen mists turned me into an inhuman, uh, I have these strange powers. Um, so, you know, I mean, his love affair with the Inhumans has just become a little embarrassing at this point. Nobody cares. Yeah, like, nobody cares. And uh, so there's a lot of weird stuff going on. And I, I think that they are always under pressure to 
Um, Question. To, to show up a profit. Yes. Question. Is Marvel looking at the, the bottom line, seeing the success of Rebirth, and actually looking... I kind of think. Looking to... I kind of think that's what's going on. It's I, a copycat business. I will say this. You know, Marvel was asked point blank when the new 52 was a huge success, are you going to do this? And they said, no, we're not. And I've said this, I have for sure said this on the podcast in the last five years. Um, uh, I always said they would keep that into their back pocket until they had no choice. <laughs> well, okay? they, they wouldn't even need to do new 52. They could skip new 52 entirely and go straight to rebirth. Because... I mean, isn't the lesson of just Jeff Johns and rebirth yeah. is that you can have it all? To stitch it all together in there, yeah. or at least make yeah. that claim. You know, another story that was um, that was making the rounds last week was that the returns on Rebirth were quite a bit. Now, uh, and you know, this I, is why uh, I can just, add to that. I okay, you know, just to get this off my chest. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I'm always saying bleeding cool. You have to take with a grain of salt. They had the story that said, you know, oh, pictures of returns and I had this this photo of a gigantic pile as big as this desk of boxes and then in the says you know we haven't seen these pictures so above is a stock photo so I mean you know give me a break I mean that's so duplicitous so anyway that's why I'm like you have to read very very carefully okay before you see that I talked to one retailer I said how many returns did you have he said I had two short boxes of comics about a thousand com reach birth books that I returned so Calvin what have you what do you know well it's that's essentially along that line I mean some of the retailers in the story um while they're unhappy with Marvel, they're they're conditionally happy with Rebirth. Now, remember now, we're talking about five stores, and only three of them are direct market stores. Um, but they're conditionally unhappy. Uh, the, the the What I take from the story is that uh, Rebirth, the Rebirths are great the first or second issue, but there is the, the typical problem of reader fall-off mm -hmm. after the second or third you know, issue. The bottom line is... Everybody can be thrilled that Aquaman is married again, but unless the book is good, they're not going to keep reading it, you know? Yeah. And, and okay, one other... But they praise the returnability. The, yes. The retailers are yes. very well, happy. Yes, of course they were, because they, they did return in house. Yes. <laughs> um, one other thing that Marvel has been doing uh, that has also, and this is what retailers have told me when I've talked to them about Marvel, is they have absolutely just slain the golden goose as far as number ones are concerned. And... You know, just like gone even, too far. They just went to, like, like everything's a six-issue miniseries now. Like, they just announced that Power Man and Iron Fist was being canceled, and now there's a new Power Man number one. And it's like, there was only six issues of Power Man and Iron Fist, or eight issues. I mean, there No was, one cares. They yeah. love their number ones. Yes, but I mean, <laughs> they take it too far. That's, that's just desensitizing. That's, that's, to, they've totally desensitized the market with Marvel Now, Marvel New Now, Marvel Then, Marvel <laughs> Marvel When, Marvel What, Marvel now. Who, yeah. Marvel Who, how, Where, What, and How. I mean, you Marvel know. Marvel Time Travel. Now, so, <laughs> Anyway, so, you know, and I see these as an observer, unknown, again, but just as an observer, I would guess, there is this bottom line that must rise, and they're like, well, let's do 20 more number ones. Yeah. And a lot of these books are getting canceled. I was having dinner with a Marvel freelancer the other night, and I swore to secrecy, but let's just say there's a lot of cancellations coming. Uh, so, you're going to have a lot more yeah. new number ones. Well, yeah. if I'm, I'm just one. I just want to uh, mention very quickly the five stores that are, will be uh, that are featured in our upcoming um, uh, comics retailing survey, which will be out um, Monday. 
in the print magazine. Uh, they are Secret Headquarters in Los Angeles, Forbidden Planet here in New York City, Challenger Comics in Chicago, and two general trade bookstores, uh, Powell's Books in Portland, and The Strand here that's also. That's a great, so that's a great selection there of stores. It's a really so, wide range of uh, selections. Check it so out. Good. Check this by Shannon O'Leary. And we think we're going to, what we're going to do, we're going to get Shannon on the podcast. We're going to interview her a little bit about putting the story together and talking with all these retailers. Oh, so like NPR. I'm yes, so yeah, well, we're, about that's that. a, it's like just, all things considered. We're, we're moving up in the world. Oh, no, so, um, so tune in. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is definitely a more to come story. Okay. We only have these bare bones of rumors. We're only speculating about what it means. And, uh, at this point, but, uh, you know, something, I think the bottom line, as we've been saying, uh, com- you know, the Comics Pro meeting is next week. Oh, yes. And that's, and, yes. yes. Comics Pro, yes. which is, uh, the meeting of, uh, of the, the Comics Retailer Group. Yeah. Uh, Comics Pro. It is closed to the press. Uh, it is, however, a really great meeting. Usually there's some really good leaks coming out of it. Um, a lot of news will be announced. Uh, I was speculating with a friend whether David Gabriel would show his face because he didn't come last year, but he's a speaker this year. Yeah. And, um, you know, he will face the music about all this with retailers. And uh, I'm sure this is what will be uh, – there will be more to come yeah. on it's this. It's not fun, folks. I've seen retailers face up against yes. comics people, oh and it ain't – it's, it's not, not a pretty sight. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. I, I guess what I want to tail off on this is that while – there are some people who have unfortunate political or racial reasons for not enjoying recent Marvel comics. There are just as many, if not more, reasons to not enjoy it that just have to do with quality of comics. And, and Kate, that is a very, very important point. Uh, you know, I think, like, I, the reason why I call this a disruption is, like, you know, D- DC uh, excited new readers of the New 52. Uh, then they alienated everyone with the DCU, which was their attempt to be more uh, inclusive. And then they went back to what worked before uh, with Rebirth. But you know what? As Calvin says, the periodical Wednesday crowd is dying off. You know, publishers have to find a way to to rethink their business strategies in uh, the coming decades because this is this is you know these new characters at Marvel have a fan base and someday these people are going to be 40 year olds buying statues of Squirrel Girl and Ms. Marvel. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think I think Squirrel Girl and Ms. Marvel are examples of doing it. Right. Yes. Because yes. um you know, because a lot of time people won't attach to the new ethnic replacement because they know perfectly well it's going to all get reset to number 1. Uh, and it'll be insert original character here, and they'll show up once every three years, a la a previous Captain Marvel who mm-hmm. was black. Yep. Yes. Um, whereas instead of Monica Rambo, yes, instead of making Monica Rambo building her up and giving her her own comic that would continue to go on, or you know having her continue to be a major team character mm-hmm. or something. And so, you know, I feel like it's more structural than necessarily yes. anti-diversity. I, I, agree. I agree. Although, of course, there's definitely the anti-diversity crowd who, oh. that's very unfortunate. And, you know, a lot of comics activists hated everything that Marvel was doing because it didn't go far enough. Well, so, they didn't do it very well. I know, that's well. the other half, yeah. yeah. Well, but I mean, I think part of it it's was... not radical enough. Well, yeah. it was... I mean, even when people weren't was necessarily not radical enough, is that, like, yeah, sure, you've got this character but you haven't really thought it out very well and it's not sure very good that. and it's not what anybody wants right 
Are we yeah. want completely original well, characters? Yeah, well, They're all black well, and female. I, well, I can't wait to see what <laughs> comics activists make of this. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, we'll see be what like... it actually looks like. Yeah, we'll see what it yes. actually looks like. Yes. Um. Well, speaking of what things actually look like, what a great segue line, Kate. Thanks. Um. <laughs> you know, we've been talking, surfing into the next topic. We know that there's um some issue. You know, this is the the, the word. We hit a rough patch here. We don't really know. We're in a time of disruption. Where we're going. Um. Getting actual publishing numbers are not that easy to come by except for one company idw because they are publicly held and yeah. uh yes everyone every journalist loves a publicly held company yes boy. so <laughs> particularly uh, my boss yes uh, a business so reporter. yes well anyway they put it out <laughs> and it did show uh there was a brilliant chart actually that showed uh showed their profits over the last five years and they've nearly doubled overall so that's yeah. pretty good since, since um well their profile has nearly doubled i mean they went from nobody in particular to like a lot of good books. Yes, I would say that. I don't. I, I don't. Their, I don't even. Their revenue is coming. Their revenue from someplace else. It's coming from TV. Yes. So publishing was down, uh, but only two point three percent. It's okay? interesting how the lead, how he wrote that lead. He focused on the the slight flat de- decline in right. publishing. I know. And then it wasn't until you got into the story that you realized. Revenue is up like thirty percent. I, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> because it's the TV production. Yeah, but it was, but yeah. So, so, but, but I think what it does mm. say about publishing is interesting. I mean, it was down two point three percent. You know, in the stock filings, don't go into detail. It said it was due yeah. to timing and this and that. Sure. And, you know, the other thing. But four Q was up because March was doing so yes, well. Yes, that's and right. Teenage it, it finished strong. Different. Yes, publishing actually finished strong. Yes. Uh, I think one of the most interesting things about this was it said that their digital sales were down $200,000. And um, we don't have any real numbers about a decline in digital comic sales, but uh, that would seem to... It it seems to be flat. I mean, that's kind of what um, Comicron and uh, and ICB2 are saying. Yes. That they're fat and they were sort of surprised at the decline, but... Mm -hmm. That's what's happening across the board in digital publishing. Mm-hmm. Now, because e- ebooks are down. Ebooks are down. Yeah, way down. Well, I I do wonder if there's not a certain level of, aside from just the novelty wearing off, of people having bought the backlist they've been wanting for years. You know. Yes, and there, there's also another aspect that keeps a digital fatigue. Yeah. The uh, in a world where you spend ninety percent of your day on a screen. Yep. Um, there's more and more people, even gadget heads, that are like enough at like six or seven o'clock at night. Yeah. So that's something that constantly comes up in all of these studies: digital fatigue. Uh, and um, well, I mean, for prose, it's a little different, but um, in the comics world, obviously, it's almost entirely. I mean, it, backlit screens—that's what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you don't really want to watch read comics, even manga. On yeah, some, you don't want it on a, you a know, flat on those um, e-paper. Yeah, e-paper screens. You just don't want it. Um, mm-hmm. Even though they're way better than they used to be, and maybe work not. for manga. Well, I was just but still. You know, I've just been doing. Uh, I'm one of the McDuffie Award judges again this year, uh, oh, cool. and I've been reading all the finalists on my iPad, and uh, what a pleasure that was. It you is, you know. And um, you know, I will say that. Uh, I've been reading a lot of comics and on a lot of platforms because at the beat we have a daily feature called A Year of Free Comics. Every yes, day we link to a free comic book or a free comic story that you should read somewhere. So I've been reading a lot of the major platforms. Web comics palooza. I won't say what they are. Well, some of them aren't even web comics. Yeah. Some of them are downloadable. Uh, yeah. You know, I won't say what it is uh, out of respect, but, uh, you know, maybe it rhymes with uh, bombexology. And, uh, you know, reading... <laughs> 
uh, this platform on a uh, desktop is not the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really designed for it. No, it's not designed mm. for desktops at all. So, uh, and then reading it on the iPad is a lot better. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's uh, definitely definitely uh, more to come. But but just to, to finish up with IDW, mm-hmm. uh, their profits are coming from TV. Uh, as as I said, my piece. Um, hey, you know, they bet on themselves. They invested in themselves, yeah. and that turned out to be really well-timed, because they have, like, two TV shows on, more in the mm-hmm. works, and um, yeah, what are they their have, shows? They have quite a few more Winona in the works. Winona Earp uh, oh, was renewed them. for a second season, mm-hmm. and uh, they, the Sci-Fi Channel upped the, the order for mm-hmm. it was going to be eight episodes, and I said, give us uh, ten episodes. So they wanted more, Winona Earp, and uh, then Dirk Gently. Based on yes, which, gently. Yeah, mm-hmm. which isn't uh, even a comic book or anything, but IDW has become its own production company, so it's in, a good time to be in that business. In production is a show called Brooklyn Animal Control. Yes, Brooklyn Animal Control is a really, no. that's actually a really fun book. Yes, uh, yes. I like that one a lot. So. And, and if I may interject, because in 48 hours I'm going to be flying a, back to Havana again, and as it so happens... Ted Adams, the uh, CEO and publisher of IDW, is going to be on the trip. Part of our publishing contingent to the yes. Atlanta Book Fair. Well, certainly one of the smartest men. He in comics, really we is say, um, so, uh, smart and good guy. And uh, I'm going to be interviewing him at the Havana Book Fair on the grounds on Saturday. So, Cuban listeners, yes, if, you are... <laughs> if we've got any people in Cuba listening, uh, um, make sure get you your go. questions ready for Ted. Yes, so <laughs> we'll uh, be at the we'll be on the grounds of the of Havana Book Fair on Saturday morning. All right, so uh, so what else do we have on our topics? Here? Uh, let's see, uh, Riverdale. Oh well, we're going to you know, do a little. Uh, we well, didn't see it, but you well, did. Well, you know, again, speaking of IDW and their TV success, mm-hmm. uh, this is a time when if you have TV shows, uh, like there's a lot of TV. So, uh, like getting stuff in development is the easiest it's ever been. I mean, there's not even time to watch all the shows. Um, but uh, we've definitely entered comics on TV 3.0. Uh, Riverdale debuted a couple weeks ago, uh, as did Powerless which is a half-hour sitcom set in the DCU. Uh, and tonight, uh, as we as we tape this, uh, Legion uh, will be on FX, which is run by Noah Hawley, who's an absolute genius. I can't wait. The previews. Mm. This might be, like, the reviews are stellar for this. It's already been raves in the New York Times, the New Yorker, so this New is... New York Times, they're hard sell. Right. Well, Emily Nussbaum loved it. I mean, she's Good no dog. pushover either. <laughs> so uh, this could be the first really arty superhero TV show. Now, Riverdale... Um, is a, a set in the Archie universe. It's kind of based in the new Archie world. Uh, the showrunners, Roberto Agassi, uh, Gary Sacasa, I always say yeah. Roberto Agari Sacasa. Um, and uh, it is Twin Peaks meets Riverdale, which isn't <laughs> really even a leap, you know. But, but you know, spoiler, there's been a murder. Uh, and um, Cheryl Blossom's twin brother, I forget his name. I never liked Archie, so I love this show. Um, has been murdered. Uh Archie was ha- having an affair with Mrs. Grundy, and they might know something about this. Uh, you know, Jughead is a dark, acerbic, uh, omnipresent narrator who, uh, you know, broods at I like pops. this. I haven't seen this, but uh, I want to see. Unlike you, know, you, I'm a huge Archie Veronica, fan in every form and variety. Yes, uh, Veronica and Bed, every, uh, Betty have sinister parents. Uh, I mean, it's a I great- heard there's a... Uh- Boy on boy action too. There's boy, yeah. Well, Kevin <laughs> Keller is great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, Kevin Keller right. playing, playing the gay best friend. I mean, what a wonderful character he is. <laughs> and uh, Josie and the Pussycats are back, and they're all African American. Love it. They play shows. Uh, they play songs. Uh, Reggie is Asian, so it's a, it's, oh, you know, it's very let's diverse. Do hey, why it. not? It's let's very diverse. It. It's very diverse. I lo- I, but I'm I but I will it. say it's it's uh you know it has cast a lot of uh character like Luke Perry plays uh Archie's dad. 
Okay. Oh, God. So another generation. So you know, but I mean, it's it's really a CW show, yeah. And that it's a teen melodrama, but uh, I I I'm loving it. So uh, I I will say um, a note from the fanoverse, from what I've heard from people who've watched it who like the new comic, uh, they say that it actually takes a different direction in characterization than yes. the comics yes. did. The new comics, there it's like. If the original departure point is original Archie, the TV show took that in one direction, and the new comic took it in a yeah. different direction. Yeah, the new, co- yeah, the comic so, that, this sounds very different. So, yeah. like um, yeah. characters who were made more sympathetic, like for example Reggie, were made less sympathetic in yeah. the television show. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes, it's, or you know, d- just different. Yeah, things. yeah, yeah. It was a yeah. different well, direction. Listen, listen shout guys. out to Sakasa. I, I mean, I yeah. think this guy needs to really get. Um, there's been so much change at Archie, and over the last. Four to five years. He's behind, I think, a huge amount right. of it. Right. He's the and creative. I think it's been incredibly yeah. creative. He is. And, you know, you know, this guy was on an award-winning playwright yeah. before yeah. he got at Archie. And, you know, he... Uh, you know what, Calvin? That's a great point. I don't think he gets enough... He's enough been fabulous. Because I think he brings... He's that, that rare person who brings a lot of outside uh, influence with a really mm-hmm. deep love of the medium yeah. and the characters. You need and, both. Yeah, and he has both. Yes. And, and and he has uh, multiple skills. He can he can write. He can yeah. direct. Yeah. He's a playwright. I mean, he's been able to see Archie in different mediums and come up with new iterations yeah. for it. Yeah, definitely. And so they well, connect. Well, I urge you guys, I think next time we get together, well, let's, uh, why don't you guys watch some of these shows? Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to definitely I've watch seen them. Perilous I want to see both of them. Also, uh, which is um, a mess. Uh, interesting. <laughs> and, is it funny? Uh, we will, it's a mess. Uh, and we, uh, you know, Legion. I yeah. urge you to All watch right, Legion. Well, so we'll, anyway, we'll circle back. We'll well, I, I think it'll be interesting to watch uh, two episodes of Powerless, which, mm. given that it's a half hour, yes. Um, you know, will take about the same amount of time. Um, because my guess would be it wouldn't be a surprise if the first episode is a mess because a pilots are hard and b this has been changed so much in uh-huh. development, right? That yeah, the pilot's probably going to be like a palimpsest of crazy. Yeah. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the second episode is yes. once they hit their... Well, they once... already reshot. They showed a pilot at Comic-Con, and then they completely reshot it and rethought and revamped the Right, right. Show, Pilots so. suffer most when you, know. you revamp. Yes, exactly. So, I would really give it to the second or third episode to figure out if they figured themselves and, out. And it has a fantastic cast. I mean, yeah, they've been amazing yeah, cast. Two Dick, Vanessa Hudgens, Ron Funches, and, um, you know... And the concept mm-hmm. is a strong concept. It is. It is. So, I, I'm, I'm holding out hope. Well, if you like the IT crowd... You'll like the, the concept. Well, the concept, of from what I've heard, it sounds like, like the IT crowd set in Gotham. City. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I was heard, I was hearing from what I was hearing, it sounded more like Better Off Ted, which I loved. Um, I've never seen or heard of Better Off Ted, a workplace comedy about a, a mad science company. Oh, it's okay. amazing okay. Um, and really, really funny, and available on Netflix. All right. Um, and on that note, so look, we're going to uh, segue into a new feature, which is basically we're going to take a quick look at the PW Graphic Novel bestseller list. Uh, the list I have today is dated um, January 29th. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to try and pick, uh, and we're trying to pick the, the closest that we have. We, we, we actually get a weekly bestseller list, but the uh, we don't pull them all every week, but we're going to change that in the future. So uh, very quickly, the list... This week, the first two, amazingly enough, the first two slots are The Walking Dead Compendium Volume 1 and 2. Now, these are $60 books yeah. and are as big as a brick. 
And it, I find it really amazing. Well, as I've said, I mean, obviously, having a TV show has boosted interest in these comics. But, you know, Robert, Kirk, so. Robert Kirkman and Charlie Adlard are probably millionaires just oh, from the sale easily. of the comics. Yeah, easily. 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 Now, I will say this. The Walking Dead Compendium was sold insane numbers even before the TV show. And just it's just become even more I mean, more that's insane. why it had a TV show. Yeah, it's yeah. just insane yeah. since then. So, like I said, this is the compendium. Now, some of the individual uh, Walking Dead volumes... Um, single volume graphic novels yeah. are on the list too. At number three, we have the perennial, uh, uh, the Killing Joke, the, the deluxe edition. Uh, at at number four, um, oh, excuse me. At number four is the Walking Dead Compendium trade paperback. So the the and 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 I made a mistake. Number two is the Walking Dead Compendium Volume Three. So Volume Two is number four. The Marvel, the Marvel Encyclopedia, not actually a graphic novel. Um, uh, after the Marvel Encyclopedia, at number six, we have The Legend of Zelda, Volume 1. And we return once again to The Walking Dead, Volume 26 of the trade paperback um, series called Arms. At number eight, Black Panther, A Nation Under Our Feet, Volume 1, uh, the, the trade paperback collection by Tana A.C. Coates. Number nine, the manga makes the list at Tokyo Ghoul, Volume 1. And number 10 on the um, PW graphic novel bestseller list is Paper Girls, Volume 2 by Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Shang. And this is provided to you by MPD Bookskin. So we're going to look at this each week and we'll try to highlight the changes uh, that are going on. Great. And now, the briefs. Well, when you get to comics entertainment stories you really can't get bigger than batman and there is a doozy of a batman story which is that ben affleck is not going to direct batman (laughs) after all now this comes after uh ben affleck had voiced complaints about the bat suit and the fact that it would be difficult to and distracting to direct while in a bat suit (laughs) yes (laughs) um wasn't and, there a whole discussion about how to make the bat suit more comfortable? Yes, yes, he is. He was very concerned about making the bat suit more comfortable. Oh, well, for which I would I can't be too. Him. I mean, you gotta, you know, imagine you're in the scene, you know, punching Killer Croc, and then you gotta run back to the monitor and pee-pee. see how it looked. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just like as a director, you have to be, you know, you have to be all over the set. You have to be, and you have to be able to focus on yeah, a lot of it's, things. It's very distracting to be in a bat suit. Yeah. And apparently, he realized it was too distracting to be in a bat suit, and says that he is not going to direct it. Although he's still very emotionally invested in Batman and doing the thing. And that could very well be the entire story. Yeah. You know? Because it's distracting to direct in a Batman costume. <laughs> in a really tight suit. You know? Well, however... However, there's a particularly juicy rumor. Ah. That uh, Ben Affleck, being a diligent director, took the script and the story ah. concept and went to his higher-ups and said, Hey, you know, we got some plot holes here. Let's fix them. And they said, We don't care. It doesn't uh-huh. matter. <laughs> and he said, maybe I should just act in it. Well, ouch. <laughs> I mean, I've been impressed. I know that I know I know people are trashing him for being Batman. No, I'm, I I have been well, certainly in the early stages of yeah, the Yeah, I was movie. I was not convinced. Um, but you know, I actually first of all, I think he's been a good Bruce Wayne and Batman mm-hmm. and everybody that does that role sometimes they're good in one side and not yeah. the other. Uh, he's I think he's brought the character together. Once again, I am the lone voice that actually think that there are parts of Batman versus Superman that are actually quite good. It's just as a whole, the thing is a disaster. Um, but I'm impressed that he takes 
he's taking this franchise really seriously. Yeah. He wants it to be good. He wants it to seriously well, be you, good. You know, guess what? And I don't he think I think he's right. Maybe you can't direct it and act in it at the same time. You know, time. I just want to point out, I've said this many times, not but the world's biggest Ben Affleck uh, fan, but you know, the guy's an Oscar winning director. He's and, a good director and he's writer good, yeah. and screenwriter. Okay? So, and I mean, not just once, I mean, a couple times. Yes. You know, he's been nominated a few times. So this is, you know, he's an auteur. I give him that. And, um, you know, he's not, uh, I know, he's, I, I think he's kind of self-aware for an actor. Uh, yeah. You know? And I mean, to make good films like he has, um, you have to have some level of, I think, uh, awareness. And, uh, you know, unmentioned in what you just said, Kate, is that his new film that he wrote and directed, which I can't even remember the name of, but no one can because it flopped. And, uh, you know, that was probably a little bit of a bitter pill for him to swallow. And, uh, you know, maybe he was just like you know, reevaluating his life and just saying, you know what? Screw it. I'm not going to direct this movie. <laughs> that, well, that's a I, I, well I, I, if, if that bit of, you know, backstory is even remotely accurate. I could see him. Look, these guys are setting me up for a big fall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would. I would just be <laughs> and like, who's, yeah. Who's, who are they going to kick? Whose ass are they going to kick yeah. online? Not the studio executives. Yeah. Mine. Yeah. So yeah, I would. I would. In his shoes, I might so. do the same thing. But um, you know, I mean, for all my complaints about Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, totally not a court case. <laughs> um, you know, I don't think his acting on Batman was the problem. Sometimes some of the scripting on Batman was a little iffy, but, I mean, he clearly was giving it his all. Yeah, exactly. And so. uh, I have no real complaints with him in his portrayal. So yeah. yeah, he was uh, one of the best, think, you know, one of the better cares. things. Yeah, yeah, he does care. He does care. I, I you know, yeah, he, and there's I, no I, question absolutely. about that. No question. And um, he cares about being in a, in a script that he doesn't feel that is up to snuff, especially after Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad both had <sighs> abysmal scripts. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. But apparently those two movies have really basically made their money, they've, haven't they? They've made their money, but on the other hand, money. it doesn't hurt a movie any to have a better script. No, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 no, my only point is that at the studio level, cynicism is setting in, is that, hey, we made really god-awful movies, and they still made a lot of money. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. The, I would say that I feel this is short-sighted, because I think, I I think if you write a good I script, agree. people will like it even better. And Maybe you make see, more money. <laughs> you might, you'll make more money because they'll see it multiple times, as witness the difference between Avengers and Avengers Two. But you know, yeah, so whatever. We'll see. we'll see. There will be more to come on that. More too. Yeah, we're not done yet. I know. Um, <laughs> yes, um, Lumberjanes is coming to a new format. A, a brand new edgy format. It is prose, prose, <laughs> there grade, prose YA novels, novels, prose YA novels. God, this is groundbreaking. Yes, <laughs> none of those existed before, but no, 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 it's, it's cool. It's cool. Good for them. Yeah, um, well, it'll bring in the money. Hey, why not? Um, ladies, speaking of 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 things, uh, hopping formats. Um, Lady Snowblood, best known in the United States as a series of Japanese action movies from the 70s, um, was originally actually a manga and a very popular popular one. And it's now available to you in English from Comixology Unlimited. 
Da-da. I, actually, something I want <laughs> yeah. to read on yeah. Comicsology Unlimited. Well, actually, if I may say so, um, Jody Culkin, friend of the show, writer of our theme music, and my wife, is l- insanely loves that graphic, that long, that manga series. I mean, I she, she's I'm, she'll be crazy to hear about this. Yeah. But can I just very quickly? No. We should mention. No. We should mention on Lumberjanes because I think our audience would be interested. In, Mariko Tamaki is writing these books, and Amulet at Abrams is publishing them. Oh, the and they're illustrated. Yes, Mariko Tamaki. Exactly. We need to do a show on her. She's taking over the world, but she is doing it. It's going to be illustrated. And um, let's see, Brooke Allen will do the the illustration. So sorry. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I have a news. Well, you have a news item for us, Calvin. Yes, I do. Well, speaking of bestsellers, um, March. Uh, you know, we uh, we talked at length. Yes, yes, we can't talk length. about this book too much. Yeah. Well, but no, we <laughs> talked at length about the New York Times dropping mm-hmm. the graphic novels bestseller charts, and we had some suspicions about whether. Uh, graphic novels would be represented on the main list when uh, appropriate, but March uh, will be on the trade paperback. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, with uh, that surge of sales at the uh, end of the year and uh, the absurd yes. conflict. Yeah, any word our troll on- in chief? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> any word on uh, where it places in the list? You know, I haven't seen the list, so I think it's probably this week's list that's out. Uh, so we should double check it yeah. uh, and um, you know see that. So, but yes, it, it, so basically, you know what? Uh, uh, Pamela Paul came under the book yes, review, the, the, book the, the, review, t- yes. come under heavy fire <laughs> from graphic novelists. Uh, but she was a woman of her word, and March is indeed on the list. There we go. Okay, great. Tokyo Pop. Remember that? Remember them? Remember Stu Levy? Well, they're back. I mean, actually, in many ways, they've been back for a while because they've been doing digital publishing for a few years. Uh, they have a deal with Disney where they're doing manga adaptations of some Disney classics, and those books should probably start showing up in the spring. But they just recently announced that they're doing um, a print release uh, of a manga series called Ocean of Secrets. Um, by Sophie Chan. And what's interesting about this is this was discovered, as we're told, uh, through Pop Comics, which is Tokyo Pop and Stu Levy's self-publishing platform. Basically, uh, without supposedly the problems uh, the, cur- the creators ended up in back in the original language manga days, and was signing your stuff away and maybe not being able to get the rights back. Uh, uh, creators own all their rights, uh, you, uh, all of them, all of the comics are free to read. I think the model is sort of the line webtoons model. Um, advertising uh, supports it. Um, there's a split in revenues between the creators. My understanding is that it's 70% goes to the creators and 30% goes to Tokyo Pop. Uh, Sophie Chan, who's going to do this, is Iranian-born, very interesting, lives in Canada. Um, and apparently, basically, was trained as an engineer, but just, you know, She's one of our peeps, and she loves her comics. And so she taught herself to draw, put up a um, a YouTube channel, and apparently of her learning to draw and doing her comics, and has a, a par- <laughs> apparently a huge following. That sounds like someone Stu would love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully they'll let her into the country for so, yeah. So yeah. Well, she lives in awesome. Canada, so yeah, well. yeah. But she can't come down here. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in uh, any event, uh, this will be out in April of 2017. And you know, on the topic of of Tokyo Pop browsing around looking at books on Amazon, 
I tripped over the fact that uh, Tokyo Pop is doing deluxe reissues of some of their original English language really? manga. No. They're really? they're doing a deluxe reissue of Bizengas uh-huh. in print, in print, uh-huh. as well as Kindle. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, make of that what you will. Nice uh, catch, Kate. Yeah. Well, one of the things that are also returning among the comics features is the manga feature, which mm-hmm. will, will be coming out in April. So uh, we'll probably be looking at yeah. the revival of Tokyo Pop in North America. And uh, that rounds it out for this week. All right. Well, we talked about a lot of topics, but there'll be more to come. <laughs>